Welcome everybody to another episode of Strife Sanctum. I am Citizen Strife, and this week we're taking another trip down memory lane into a different type of genre, and it's going to be those 90s platformers again. And much like Mega Man X, Donkey Kong Country was one of those games where everybody played it, everybody loved it. I don't know if everybody loved it as much as, say, Mario or, you know, Castlevania what have you. There's varying degrees of what you're looking for in a platformer. To me, Donkey Kong Country was kind of the happy medium of a good enough difficulty, but not so bad that it was frustrating. And Donkey Kong, uh, Donkey Kong Country certainly had a couple of things going for it that separated it from the pack. Um, one specifically being the visuals, which we'll get into. Another being the music. Oh my god, the music of this. But for me, more so than even Mario, is I think they are stage-based and gimmick-based. But in a good way, in most cases. But as usual, we're going to go over things. We don't really need to worry so much about characters and whatnot like we would with a plot-heavy RPG. So this one might be on the shorter side, which is good, I suppose. Especially for people who are new to this and knew how I'm going to do it. And I'm going to try and do different things with this. And I'm also recording this off of a... I just did a stream of Final Fantasy X, so I'm already in kind of a streaming headspace, and a talking headspace, so I'm going to talk faster, and I'm going to try and make this a little bit more exciting, I suppose. But when we get into Donkey Kong Country, we think about Donkey Kong as a character, and everybody knows him from the arcade game. That's where it all started. The Jumpman and the Mario thing. Mario ended up becoming a big deal. Donkey Kong to a lesser extent, but around the 80s it kind of died off. So what ended up happening was Rare, a company that made Battletoads and other games, invested in a hefty um, 3D printing, 3D modeling effect and service that was basically ta taking 3D models and planting them into a 2D space. For lack of a better term, it's more technical, technical than that, but sure. But Rare was given the license, and they wanted to do something with Donkey Kong. So they took some stuff from other games, the Kremlings, which were used in a different game, transplanted them as the villains in this, and then used a new platforming idea. Just added a whole bunch of cool stuff, layering effects, new music styles, all this crazy stuff. And it took them about 18 months to make and those 18 months were well spent. Donkey Kong Country is well regarded as one of the best games of the 90s. It's well regarded still today as one of the best games. And even though um, Donkey Kong Country Returns and Tropic Freeze, though those have been kind of an, a, an alert lately. Those were the last games about 10 years ago. It still dwarfs a lot of games to these to today. Because Donkey Kong Country was featured in stuff like the SNES Classic. It's been featured on all-time lists. So many speedrunners do it. So many gamers do it. I myself will play it every once in a while just to get myself back into the thing. There's so much going on with Donkey Kong Country. And it's always a good thing to come back to. Even though I'm a more of an RPG guy later in my life. This was one of those cornerstone games that I really remember. And it really does start with the attitude that was in, in play. Because Donkey Kong and Diddy Kong, to a lesser extent, but especially Donkey Kong, opens the game on a, on a high. 
basically just kicking Cranky Kong to the curb and saying, this is my game now, bitch. And just just the boom bucks and everything, and he's just beating his chest, and they even have the ape sound effects, and he just has this big bug-eyed look to him. He's just a big hulking fuck. And you can tell by the way he moves and the way he rolls and the way he attacks, he's just slow, just stomping. And, and I don't know how it works in, like, stuff like SSB or Mario Party, but they really get across the whole ape thing. Just this just this burly thing. And you have this secondary character in Diddy, who I always preferred, was not as easy, you know, he'd get knocked off from some of the enemies and whatnot, but he was good enough and fast enough that he could make the jump. So you have to, they already have it where, almost like the Mario 2 thing, where there's subtle differences between the characters, and it would translate to the other games in the franchise too, and let's face it, Dixie was just OP as fuck. But that's another story for another day. But you have other you have other Kongs, you know, Cranky Kong being the original Donkey Kong, which I think they got away with, to be honest. Um, Funky, who's awesome. Candy, who's there, I guess, just to save. But really, it's the antagonists, the Kremlings, and King K. Rule. And I'm sure it comes across more in, like, the 90s cartoon, which I wasn't really into, because I think it was Either I didn't watch it or didn't know it was there. Like, I might have seen it, like, one time, but K. Rule comes off as this maniacal villain, but he's kind of stupid. And it does come across when you finally face him at the end of your journey. It's like he's a bit of an idiot. And it it works because the, the whole game, like, what plot? What plot is there in this game? This guy stole some bananas, so you go and catch your bananas. But, again... Who needs plot when you have a great platforming system? And good God, is this a good platforming system? Um, the the game is broken into six main hubs. You know, you got your jungle level, you got your minecart level, you've got um, sort of a jungle slash half forested area. You know, reminiscent of the original level, ice level, because of course you got to have an ice level. The mechanical level, the plant, which I'll call the plant, I guess. And then, unfortunately, and this is going to be my only criticism, and I'll bring it back later, the sixth level is just another minecart level, which, you know, I'll, I'll talk about later. But you go through all of those, and every level is stretched about five to six different small levels, and they all have their own unique gimmicks. And that's the cool thing, is they can all kind of range from use the barrels jump up vines, swing across vines, a certain enemy is featured more, you gotta go through a fucking water level with these tires that are stuck in the area, um, and it's really cool because even more so than Mario, which is kind of the staple for this sort of thing, Donkey Kong really focuses in on that gimmick, but not enough to the detriment of levels, like, maybe... Later on, I'd say Donkey Kong Country 2 at that level where you have to use a certain, like, animal buddy or whatever. I think the only level that drove me nuts was the one where Squawk shows up with the light and the torch in the cave, and it would make this blinding effect every time you had to move it. Um, You know, it says every other level is just this gorgeous-looking backdrop, and and the, the controls are tight, but they still give you enough slipperiness that it doesn't feel like they're stuck to the ground like an NES game would. So everything feels responsive for the time frame, and you're, everything's big. Everything just 
feels just big. And the platforming, once again, doesn't feel too loose or too tight. It's just this perfect mix of like a mid-tier difficulty, you know, so you're not going to have your Ninja Gaidens or maybe your later Mega Man Xs, but you're also not going to be like so easy that it's like a Kirby game. You know, it's probably a little harder than Mario, give or take. And I, I've beaten these games, but, you know, those later levels are, are no joke. Um, but they're not supposed to be. But it's not a hard game. You beat it in an hour or two hours. And um, the cool thing is, again, you have all sorts of enemy types, your big ones, your small ones. I think one of my favorite enemies, honestly, was the, the guys in the temple area. There's only like two or three temple areas, but... But you get the guys rolling the beavers and the fucking gigantic fucking wheels that chase after you. That's one of the whole gimmicks of one of the levels was them chasing after you. I was like, fucking hell. And, you know, or the croctopus chase where it's the same idea except a, a fucking crocodile or octopus thing is chasing you in the fucking thing. And, and again, the gimmicks translate to other games in the series. So you... you you know right away what they're trying to get you to do, but I also think what helps is that they do give you that second character to change the dynamic. If you want to go faster, you want a, a stronger attacker, you use each other, and then you have the idea of potential multiplayer at play. I think I don't remember offhand. I think you can do two-player, or you can do the two-player thing where you're just doing one turn and then the other turn. But what I love it is when you can do two-player and then one person playing Diddy, one playing as Donkey Kong, and it's like, oh, it's cool. So you can have this, you know, multiplayer experience. I definitely remember my brother and I loved this game, and I'd say he was better at it than me, but I think I liked it more personally. But I don't know. I don't remember, you know. Uh, in terms of what I remember us doing was Final Fantasy VII. So as far as playing games together, we played Final Fantasy VII and VIII together. I don't know as much if we did Donkey Kong together, but you can, you know. So you're allowed to do, you know, two-player co-op. And for games like this, which are pick-up-and-play, it really gives you something to go by and something to work with. And um, much like power-ups in the game, one of the best things is the Animal Friends. Rambi being just run and smack uh espresso being kind of bow-legged and you know flies and glides really fast on guard personally is my favorite I, i'm not like huge into winky and squawks i mean i know they're there um squawks is better in the second one because he's got those coconut things but like on guard is the best like it's one thing for the swimming mechanics and i don't hate the swimming levels so much but when you get on guard it's just I don't have to worry so much. As long as you can get right in front of a guy and you keep on him, you know, on guard will protect your ass. And it's just like, oh, yes, it's so nice. Because he's faster and he's got that, you know, instant attack because he just, blah, you know, runs right through your eyes. Rambi to a lesser extent, but on land, you know. So they, they give you enough of a boon and they give you enough extra lives and bonus levels and things that it doesn't seem really awkward. Now, I know that, like, in the second or third game, you know, they started doing the whole rare collect-a-thon bullshit. This is a lot more subdued in that regard. So it's more of a focus on just getting the template down and getting the game down. And I think they did a really good job. Like, they don't, like, force, like, surprises on you. 
later levels they'll give you some harder enemies for sure or, or you know harder stuff but even stuff like the second minecart level is not all that different from the first you know nothing just comes out at you nothing will surprise you once you know the gimmick involved with the with the battles or with the stage you kind of know what you're fighting against but they'll always give you like a second to 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 prepare yourself rather than just try to cheat their way into beating you so that you learn it they'll give you a second to learn the mechanic before punishing you for making the mistake and of course the jumps are the jumps and i'd say on the ice levels or say the blackout basement like those jumps are gonna suck but unless you're doing a timed level like the t you know the train track or whatever or the minecart you're never out of your depth and i don't think this is a game that is going to punish people who don't really have the platformer lingo like i don't play platformers anymore and i'm too tentative for my own good but i can still pick up and play donkey kong do pretty well until i get to those ice levels cuz that's really where i tend to do okay is that ice you know the ice level is where I just start fucking up and dying a lot. Um, but along with the levels, you got to have other good things. And this is another game where the music also carries it, much like, say, Chrono Cross. But this carries the, the tune in a different way. It, it reminds me of Secret of Evermore, a, a game I'll get to on a later date, where it's focused more on the ambiance of the level rather than giving you a song you know, verse, chorus, verse, chorus, verse, chorus. This is a build. This is a song. These are songs that build to something or give you a feeling of something. And this is where I'm going to spend a lot of my time in talking about the positives because, I mean, the platforming is great. But the music, going back and re-watching the footage and re-listening to this stuff to get the, you know, before recording this... David Wise and Eveline Fisher do so good at just building the anticipation for what the songs are. And DK Swing specifically, you're hearing all these like percussion noises and jungles and monkey noises and trees whistling. It's just so good. I mean, they've talked about Sticker Brush Symphony for sure for the second game, but there are so many good songs and I'll just list them here. You know, just God forbid if you haven't heard these before, you owe it to yourself to listen to these. And I'll just talk about my favorites. Uh, DK Swing, you know, anytime you're in a jungle level, because it, it kind of builds and builds and builds, but it changes into like two or three different segments. It starts you with this slow build, then it gets to the bombastic part, then it gets to the middle part that is this really just kind of mysterious vibe to it, and then it gets back to that bombastic, you know, beginning. Um... Aquatic Ambiance is probably the song everybody knows from this, other than, say, Gangplank Galen, Ganglin, I think. Um, or Gangplank Galleon. That's what it was. Sorry. Um, but Aquatic Ambiance. The only reason those fucking water levels work... And again, I don't hate the swimming mechanics, but Aquatic Ambiance is just so serene. Much like Sticker Brush Symphony is very mysterious, but still in that serene atmosphere... Aquatic ambiance is total serenity, total chill, for lack of a better term. And when you know it, you know it. And when you see those water levels, you're just like, yes, I get to hear this song again. So Minecart Madness. Uh, minecart is just, hey, we've got two levels with them on a fucking minecart, and you're dodging enemies, and you're dodging traps. 
good fucking luck. And the song is just this driving, almost like a, it reminds you of those Sonic levels where you're driving towards the way to the end and the, it's forcing you to think rather than just like enjoying the level and the ups and downs, you're racing right to the end. Um, I was a big fan of the third levels, the jungle levels. They're smooth jazz. The treetops were even better because they were more, you know, cool, bombastic, just, you know, just drumming, almost reminiscent of the first level, but in a different jazzy kind of way. Um, fourth level, completely different. The Northern Hemisphere, it's bleak, distressing, because this level is ice. There's nothing there. There's nothing to save you. And it's all about what is there. Absolutely nothing. You're just fighting the elements and you're trying not to die. That's kind of the vibe. And it comes across really well. And the fifth level is the plants. Totally different. Fairly reminiscent of the Minecart Madness, but the Fear Factory song is just this driving song, driving you through this maze of, of you know, plants and oil drums and just stuff on fire and all these enemies trying to kill you and knock you off platforms. The Blackout Blazement. The Blackout Blazement. Blackout Basement. Say that three times fast, but yes, those songs and I wish every fucking place in that fifth level was that fucking song because it was so good to me. Because it was this even more so than Minecart Madness was this driving theme, trying to get you through it and trying to just muster up the courage to get through this level in such a good driving fashion. And of course, the final boss theme, uh, gang. Gangplank Galleon, and if you, if you hear me struggling over my words, it's because they're doing the, the alliteration quite a bit. Um, but Gangplank Galleon, I remember reading this up, and they said that they, um, rem they listened to Iron Maiden, and they kind of went with that and turned it into kind of a pirate shanty. I can believe it. Iron Maiden is great at the driving riffs and, you know, d d just chug those early Iron Maidens are all about chug and, you know, easy to follow riffs, but it's a fast driving riff and slapping bass. And I can see that in a more happier kind of hectic tone because you're fighting against uh, K. Rule and him throwing his fucking crown and jumping all over the place. But it's still got that drive to it. And again, I like the drivier, heftier themes because I'm a metal guy. But again, this whole game is about the music setting the tone for the platforming. And it's well regarded for a reason. So if you've never heard these songs, again, Aquatic Ambiance is the one everybody probably knows. But DK Swing is great. Fear Factory is great. But almost anything in this freaking soundtrack is worth listening to because you're going to get a different kind of feel for it. Um, and that's one of the main positives is the soundtrack is just so varied and so good and just gives you everything feels like you're living in a place rather than being in a level and you know listening to the music and fitting a theme this is fitting the area that you live into and that's really the difference that sets this apart the platforming is good and and I mentioned this before the level design 
nothing ever kind of comes out of nowhere. Like once you see a gimmick, you know what your gimmick is. Some of it can be easier or harder depending on where in the game it's found, but nothing is going to surprise you. So it's difficult enough without being overwhelming. And I think that people tend to overstate how impressive like difficulty is back in the snes days this is when things started being less difficult and i think now because of stuff like dark souls and whatever everything's starting to go into fuck hard ton you know hard as fuck ton of you know battles and shit you know because that's super popular now but we got kind of out of the s or the nes days we're just getting quarters and we're making everything punishing because we have a 20 minute game this is an hour and a half so this is like a good happy medium. Like if you've never played a platformer before, it's still got some hectic stuff, but everything's there for a reason. Everything feels like it needs to be there. And the visual style, because outside of some of the isometric platformers or isometric RPGs like Super Mario RPG or some of the um, later RPGs like Lufia, Final Fantasy VI, uh, Tales of Fantasia, specifically. Tales of Fantasia is probably my favorite-looking RPG. But as far as games stretching the hardware, Donkey Kong Country is probably one of the best, if not the best, simply because of the the look and feel of the backdrops that they were able to create and then putting these 3D models into this 2D space. Um, as far as negatives, I'll keep this brief because there's not many. But I will say that the sixth level is kind of disappointing because for being the finale of the game towards King K rule, there's nothing new. You have a couple of, you know, elevator levels and track levels, and you got to keep your fuel consumption on a track, but it's a lot of mines. So they're really just reusing the level two aesthetic. And it feels a bit disappointing when you get to the end of the game and you're not, experiencing something new at least with mario when you're getting to that final level you know you're in the dark world and you're expecting to face the hardest fucking stuff and you get this like bleak atmosphere whether it's the fire or the complete monochrome black this has the second level all over again it just feels like it's the second level it's harder versions of all that but it, it even reuses like the blackout basement idea so um blackout basement for i keep mentioning that one it's in the fifth level with the chemical plant where the the lights turn on and off and when you're jumping you have to gauge what you're jumping into because you don't know when the lights are going to turn on or turn back off um they do the same thing in a minecart setting, but the only way to know is by listen, uh, looking at barrels. And they just turn the lights on and off. So it really feels like the sixth area is just a harder version of levels you faced before, which is totally acceptable. But for a game that was as expressive and as different and unique as this, it does kind of feel cheap that that's what you're left with. It's almost like those RPGs where you end up like either redoing the boss fights you did or worse, those places where you redo like dungeons a second time to get through to the final boss, you know, those kinds of things. It's, it's similar to that. Uh, and think of that as a platformer's version of redoing your four major boss fights or levels over again. But far be it for me to say that that really detracts from the experience. Because 
fucking Christ. Donkey Kong Country is still one of the best games of all time for a reason. A, a gamer like me who kind of transitioned into the RPG sp- space and focused on story and, you know, well, keeping my feet on the ground, you know, or like the Metroidvania, the weird, n- darker tinge of the Japanese stuff, you know, the Japanese gothic. This stuff, those mid-level, you know, mid-year platformers, the Sonics, the, the Marios, the Mega Mans, all that stuff was still like ingrained in me. So I could still always like come back and play those old staples. And Donkey Kong, I don't know if I would say it's my favorite, but it certainly is up there. Between Mega Man X or Super Mario World or Donkey Country, you're not going to go wrong. And again, you're going to find a flavor of, of platformer of those that'll fit your speed, especially if you're somebody new to these. Donkey Kong Country is like, you can't go wrong. It's perfectly accessible for somebody who's new to a platformer, but gives you enough challenge that you're not going to feel bored of it after a while. And because that they give you two other games in the franchise, and to me, the second one's better than the first one, but it's very close. You're in for an adventure, literally, because Donkey Kong Country is so good and is so well regarded. So, whether I recommend it, what do you think? Of course, I would recommend this game to anybody, any fan of anything, anywhere, if you're a retro fan or somebody new. Donkey Kong Country is so good and so beyond stuff, even from its own era. It still stands the test of time. But that'll do it for me today. And next week, we're going to uh, get back into anime with Black Lagoon. And uh, actually, no, Tiger and Bunny. I remembered it this time. Hooray, I remembered it this week. It's Tiger and Bunny first, then it's Black Lagoon. But Tiger and Bunny's next week. So I, I, I rewatched Tiger and Bunny and had a lot of fun. And what I like so much is the idea of the superheroes living a double life in a reality show, and that's something I'm really thrilled to talk about. The next game will be another platformer. It will be Kirby in the Forgotten Land. And as much as I like Donkey Kong, Kirby's something I kind of wish I'd gotten into at the same time, because Kirby I didn't get into until Star Allies, which I feel so fucking dumb, because Kirby is like one of those franchises that you just cannot hate. You can maybe not play it or not enjoy the playing it, but you can't hate Kirby. You just can't. It goes against all logic and all fun because Kirby is nothing if not nice and fun and freeing. And this new game is just so fucking good. So I'm really glad I played it. And then we'll get to Black Lagoon. So imagine that. We go from Kirby, the nicest, most wholesome, most fun thing in the world to Black Lagoon. Fucking hell. Girls with guns and drug dealers and gang members and shootouts. And did I mention the word fuck? Because I might have mentioned that many, many times. But imagine that when we get to that, I'm going to be swearing up a storm more than I usually do. But we're working our way to the first year. So we're almost there, and we'll get to that first year anniversary uh, podcast. And again, I think what I'm going to do with that one is kind of go over my first year and how I've 
you know, started it and changed it and worked around it. And then kind of go over like my my wants for games and anime as a as a reviewer of them. And then the things that, you know, you could you could have picked up on but are my pet peeves. As far as what I like to see in a show or a game versus what I don't like. And I'm hoping that that becomes a nice, you know, celebration of doing this for a year. I mean, I don't have to do these podcasts, but it does give me something to, you know, on a stream or a YouTube video, you can't express just how much you like a game to a wider audience. You can express it to maybe five or ten people or to somebody in a chat or whatever and then get a get a talking back and forth. But in a podcast setting, you can really like dive into something on your own and really just dig deep as to why something interests you or pisses you off. And I think that's that what that special first year anniversary is going to do is give me that opportunity to kind of express the whys and hows I've been doing this and kind of give back as for people who have been watching these, whether you've enjoyed it, whether you've watched it for like five or 10 seconds and said, Nope, I'll watch somebody else. It really does help. Something like this isn't just content for me. This is a way to express opinions, but also try to do it in a way where it doesn't come across as demeaning or effusive praise because you want to do something both. You want to do a happy medium, and I believe I've at least managed that to a certain extent. But again, I'm myself, and you can tell me if I'm completely wrong. But that's it for today, and we'll keep on going next week with Tiger and Bunny. So I'll see you guys next time. Citizen Strive, signing off.